look for ways to sing, look for ways to encourage others, to help others. And that in turn becomes a source of personal replenishment as well. Hey, and welcome to the Leading with Nice interview series where we want to help you inspire others, build loyalty, and get results. My name is Matthew Ewell, and today on the show, we have my good friend, Ezra Beyer. And I came to know Ezra, and this is important for the context today. I was driving home, my family from my in-laws' house, and there's this stretch of uh, strip plazas that, like, you know, uh, some have a payday loans in them, maybe an adult uh, bookstore. And I saw this, like, what I thought looked like a church, maybe. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And so I went home and Googled it. And I'm like, oh, what would a church be doing here in this kind of odd location? And um, And I got an email back from Ezra. Ezra has an amazing story, you know, from Canada to go live in the Eastern US, back to Canada, and then out to live in Idaho. And it's just such a great story. So I want him to tell a little bit, just a tiny bit of his journey, because he's here to talk about a book that he's written, one of several books he has. This is the newest one called Walking with a Limp, Thoughts of Hope for the Depressed and Discouraged. So Ezra, Before we talk about the book specifically, just kind of give us that overview of your life's journey and how it's led you to arrive at this. Well, Matthew, thanks for taking the time to let me on the podcast. Appreciate it. Um, Have you ever heard of the Canadian writer Farley Mowat? Of course, Um, yes. 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 Okay. So I feel like my early days were a little bit like Farley Mowat. I grew up, was born in Montreal, moved with my family up to uh, Northern Ontario, about eight hours north of Toronto little town called Cochrane, the home of Tim Horton. Uh, that's about our only claim to fame, Tim Horton's yeah. coffee for those in the States. Um, and and uh, so w- we moved up there through this yellow school bus. We took it, my dad bought this yellow school bus, packed all of our belongings into it, moved up to the north, sold the school bus for more than we paid for it. And we touched down in this 160 acre farm um, with like our basement flooded with water, like four feet of snow. Um, It was just a a mess. And that's where I grew up in this little area, you know, eight hours north of Toronto. From there, moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, when my parents separated and was there about seven years living in the inner city. Totally different change of pace. Moved to Virginia for three years after that, after I completed my undergraduate degree. And then from there, uh, moved back to Toronto for five years. And now I'm in Idaho. And that's that's where I am today. So I guess the, the biggest question I have out of that is, was it a short school bus or was it the long, like, 48-seater? Oh, no, 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 no. It was long. It was really? totally long. Yeah, yeah, it was It was full. And I remember this is one of the funniest parts. We pulled into Cochrane. And if have you ever been there? Uh, no, no, I, I haven't okay. had a pleasure yet. It's on, it's on my bucket list. You need to go there, and then you need to take the train up to Moosonee, which is like six hours north of Toronto. It's mm-hmm. as far, far north as you can drive by car mm-hmm. in that particular region of Canada. And uh, so, so my dad pulls in, and we're about literally through four kilometers from our house, and we know that. And we pull into this gas station. The bus is totally unempty. My dad pulls into the gas station on this huge bus, and he says, I'd like $5 worth of gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they put $5. We get to our place. And I remember when, this, this distinctly because when people came and bought the bus, 
They bought it, and we told them it was out of gas. They got to the end of their of our driveway. It stalled, and it was done. And uh, so, yes, that's, that's uh, how, how it all have started. I not heard this story before? This is a great story. <laughs> Just so yeah. you know, from now on, Ezra, that's what you lead with. All right, the bus story, the magic school bus. So, this book is really about the journey and struggle with uh, trials of depression, anxiety. So, somewhere along the line, you must have have experienced or or had something all this collection of learning to put this down on paper and share with others has it been a, a lifelong thing or is it just maybe a smaller period of time a smaller period of time um you know it's interesting i, I don't know if you've ever read uh, johan hari's book uh, lost connections mm-hmm. a very very popular book on the topic of, of depression wrote it several years ago um been a bestseller and it was interesting. He listed about nine different reasons why we suffer with depression. And, and obviously it's not totally all inclusive and, and things like that. But um, one of the, some of the major things he mentioned, like basic things like, you know, um, um, not getting out in nature, you know, mm-hmm. not having meaningful work, losing a sense of identity, all these different things, about nine different things. And as I began reading that list, I realized, um, when my wife and I moved to Toronto, it was as if seven of those kind of converged all at once. And this, obviously, I wasn't really thinking through this process, um, but we moved to a city, didn't really know anyone, kind of, as you described, kind of were, were plopped down in an area that uh, a lot of low income and people that had a lot of needs, and which is where we wanted to be, but that takes a toll on you emotionally over time. And so, I remember it was a February morning. I woke up and my wife's getting ready to go to school and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, what, what is wrong? And all of a sudden, it's kind of embarrassing to admit, I guess, but I'm sitting there and tears just start pouring down my face. And I'm like, what is happening here? And in that moment, I, I realized, okay, something like something is not right. And it was from there, there was really a two, three year journey of really some dark nights, uh, I'd say almost you know dark nights of the soul, um, where where it's really really just tough to um, really see any light forward, and kind of all sense of hope would just be gone for weeks weeks at a time. And it was out of that that really the idea of this book came about. And I said, you know what, that that's kind of how I operate as a writer. I'm a full time freelance writer right now, and when I'm struggling through something, I write, and that's what really helps me. And so that's that's kind of how this book all came about. So you just mentioned right now you're a freelance writer. You've had a plethora of jobs over the years, mm-hmm. and I, I won't detail them all. But we came to know each other again. You had come to Toronto very intentionally to plant this church. Mm-hmm. And that's how we came to know each other. And why I wanted to have you on a podcast about leadership and talking about leadership and this depression and leadership, we know can go hand in hand, but it may not right. be common or uh, an easy connection for a lot of people. But the reason why I wanted you to speak about it in particular is I watch your approach to your faith as very hands-on. Uh, mm-hmm. I watched you set up like a food bank and like a pharmacy with like band-aids and stuff like a dispensary. Uh, I watched you uh, really be intentional about making friends with people that were new to Canada or going through that refugee process. It was just very, as a tangible faith. Mm-hmm. I don't see this uh, depression that you're talking about as an abstract concept for you. Like it actually impacted your ability to do what you are hardwired to do. What yeah. do you think? Is that 
what's your reflection on that? Yeah. So, so one of the jobs that I did this summer was I wrote about 50 or a hundred art between 50 and hundred articles for a group called the medicinementors.com. What they do is they interview leading physicians around the United States from Harvard, Yale, et cetera. And I would take the podcast, the interviews that they do kind of like what we're doing, put them in the form of an article. And what was interesting over and over and over again, these leading professionals would talk about anxiety and burnout. And you would think, okay, well, my goodness, they have it all together. They have a well-paying job. But they said, you know what? It's so hard to relate what we're going through to, say, like a life coach, because how do you describe walking into a patient's room, right, and seeing a patient pass away, and then all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, you're in another place? And I think that's one of the things that depression can do is it can give you a feeling of isolation, where you feel like no one else in the world understands you. And to a degree, that's true because your story is unique, but it can leave you feeling like it's really a debilitating feeling where you understand, okay, man, I can't, I can't press forward like I did. And so the idea of walking with a limp kind of comes out of that, you know, different writers, I mean, mainstream writers, whether it's you take on one extreme, or, you know, from Malcolm Gladwell to say someone like Jordan Peterson, in Toronto, they've used biblical references to inform their writing. Uh, my writing uh, from the life of the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Jacob, describes his struggle and where he had a really unique experience that for the rest of his life, uh, he walked with somewhat of a limp. And my, my basic point is that all of us in life, we have these different things that cause us to limp a little bit. Maybe it's anxiety. It could be something tucked away deep down inside. And we're tempted to get really frustrated and say, man, why do I have this? But I believe if there's one theme, you asked about a theme that's run through my life, I would use the word empathy. That when we have a limp in our lives and something that causes us not to perform to the level that we would like to perform, we're often tempted to say, okay, well, I want to get rid of this. I want to and then move on with my life. But often I've found that that is often the route that, that can be used to help us have a higher level of empathy for other people. And certainly my depression journey gave me a unique opportunity. Now, when I walk in a room and I, I sense someone that struggled with depression, I can sense it very quickly just because I know my story. You know, it's um, amazing if you struggled or lived with depression and somebody who is in a very dark place at that moment starts telling you about what they're feeling. It is very recognizable. You can usually pinpoint the exact time you're like, Oh yeah, I felt that exact same way at this time. Yeah. Just before this podcast, coincidentally, a friend phoned me who is actually struggling with depression right now. And they've been talking with their employer. They're very, it's a very open uh, place of Mm -hmm. employment where they can talk freely more employment places should be like that around mental health. And he's talking about leaving. And the thing he said to me was this, he's like, Matthew, there are so many books to deal with depression. And you know, you're right. Like, you know, this as well too. Yours is written like uh, you've been a pastor. You, I would say you start, you never stop being a pastor probably. Yeah. And so there's a lot of, uh, you know, the biblical based stories and examples are throughout your book. So somebody who's a Christian might like would probably recognize and be in a very familiar territory. However, when I was reading it through the eyes, the lens of somebody who was not like churched, for example, there's still a lot of great content. So for somebody who hasn't, that isn't familiar with biblical stories or the uh, idea of like what a, a faith structure is about, 
but is listening to this right now and is like, man, I am willing to try anything. What would you tell them? What What's in your book that somebody who is not familiar with any of this might find helpful or what, what would you say to encourage them to pick it up? You know, one of the podcasts I listen to is uh, Mike Rowe, and he, he does this podcast called Curious Mind for a Short Attention Span. And it's like a, you know, 10 minute, minute thing, real quickly. And I would say this book is almost more uh, for a curious mind with a longer attention span. <laughs> it, it's it's someone that really is going through the, the throes, the, the really awful part of depression, but they're, they're also looking. I found that there's often two extremes. We, we tend to just say, okay, well, um, um, maybe you need to just buck up and get over it. I think especially maybe previous generations, we tended to do that. And then on the other hand, we we'll, might have some people that would say, okay, well, you need to just, you need to just focus on, on the depression and, and basically almost, almost encourage it to a level of where, okay, this is something you always, and you never really confront some of the issues that are at the cause might be at the cause of, of the depression. And so I would say this, this book, it's certainly not like written from like a clinical perspective. Um, but it's someone who's in the trenches. And for me, I'm a curious personality. That's that's who I am. So I will read books from a wide variety of backgrounds and writers, people who do not share my faith values, things like that. And from that helps better inform, and sometimes it changes the way I think. So that's if someone's not a Christian and they're thinking about it, I, I would just say, yeah, there's things in there in the book that are geared towards Christian's but I would hope that sometimes reading a different perspective than maybe the one that you typically read, often that new way of coming to a problem or approaching a problem, it might not immediately change something, but it might trigger something where you say, okay, well, you know what? I never thought about it quite like that. And that might crack the door open, shed some light on your situation and give you a little bit of hope. There's a reason the subtitle is, you know, Thoughts of Hope for the Depressed and Discouraged. That's, I thought of all these, you know, as you go through the writing process, you think of all these elaborate subtitles that you could give that might be catchy or, you know, but that's really what it comes down to is, is when you're going through the, the, the deepest parts of depression, you feel hopeless. And I hope that through someone reading this, that they say, okay, you know what? My life is worth living. There's purpose. There's meaning. And then that better informs the way that they, that they lead. I agree with you. I um, I have a short attention span, but you write so conversationally and you're a gifted writer. So as you would be writing and I would say, well, what about this in my head? I'm like, oh, he's starting to address that right now. So uh, definitely I agree. There's a lot in here for everybody. And also when you're in those moments of like, I'll try anything, this is a great thing to try. You know, this is a leadership podcast and uh, I've wanted to talk about mental health in leaders, it's a lonely place to be, right? It is lonely mm -hmm. to be the leader. You bear a tremendous burden on the success or, or failure of what, what you're leading. There's a, a lot of pressure. Man, it, it can be really tough. And I, I would like to speak more about mental health for leaders on this podcast. We also celebrate leaders on this podcast that do things differently and take risks. When, when we talk about you know, really leaning into storytelling or empathy on this podcast. Th those are not typical how to lead courses at your university or college or what your mentor might've taught you. But there's people listening today that are really feeling handcuffed by their depression. And in chapter 15, you discuss uh, some great steps to take in the midst of those darkest times. 
you actually say in the book, like, I don't want to give you a how-to. Like, that's not what this book is about. But there are some things you can do. Can you share a few of those with us? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now I'm working on two books with two different clients, both on leadership, right? Mm-hmm. And mental health side of things just absolutely comes up time and time again. So, so it's, a, it's a huge thing. And a, c- a couple things I would say, if you're going through a time, number one, recognize where you're at. Sometimes that's hard. And sometimes that really takes some self-evaluation. Mm. Sometimes it takes someone looking into your life. For me, one of the things that motivated me to want to get help, to get counseling, uh, was looking at it from my wife's perspective. Mm. And that's something that we often don't talk about enough. We tend to say, okay, well, my depression, my anxiety, I'm just going to get through this as though it's not having an impact on those around us. And when I saw the impact that it was starting to have on her, I said, okay, you know, I don't like the idea of going to counselor. That's just me. <laughs> I, I just didn't like that thought. But I said, you know what? I'm going to do that. And that that was a really big thing because recognizing where I'm at. Second thing is uh, I use the simple phrase, reach up and reach out. Now, this the first part comes from a God perspective where I do believe there's a spiritual component of reaching up to God for strength. Um, but the second part is, is reaching out to other people. Do you have other people in your life outside like your spouse or or close family member that can speak in and offer hope. Again, it's so easy to to isolate and say, you know, no one cares. But I've found time and time again, uh, there are so many people who have similar struggles to what I face. So that's a big thing. Third thing is simply this, um, reorganize your schedule. And this can be a difficult, a, a tricky one, but it's been so helpful. So simple things. Um, I found, again, I was talking to someone who struggles with depression. They said, you know what? This didn't help me very much at all. For me, it did. Uh, exercise is a huge thing for me right now where um, if I don't, uh, I use this thing called a Bowflex Max Trainer and I love it. It's a cross between a stair climber and an elliptical. And when I don't use that frequently, I start feeling anxious. For, you know, So that part was just better understanding myself, but then also like, you know, sleep patterns. I I was one of those guys where I like to go shorter on sleep because I want to be productive, but then realizing, okay, you know what? Actually, I need to sleep more. (laughs) I need to sleep. And oddly enough, I felt better when I slept, you know, (laughs) it's a, it's a crazy concept. I know. And I think here was a a big thing for me. I was always used to being a guy that was 110%. You give me a job to do, I'm going to go 10%, 20% beyond that of what you've required because I want to deliver with excellence. And there's still still a a part of me that just likes to do that, right? I, I try to have that approach with clients. But I've also found that there's a reason we have emotional boundaries in our life. And when we exceed those too far, we stretch ourselves beyond what we're supposed to go. And we, we can only do that so long before something cracks. And so that, that that's the third thing. The last thing, just very simply, is this. Find ways to sing in the darkness. There's, there's a bestseller book out there called A Make Your Bed uh, by Admiral, I think it's McCracken or something like that. And he talks about the story of when, how he went through the Navy SEALs and all of that. And they're going through Hell Week. And they're all sat in this, you know, <laughs> this uh, uh, freezing pot of water and they just have to sit there for hours and hours and end. But he said out of that, one of the group, and they were so ready to quit, they're shivering and they're shaking, but one of them starts to sing and he, he called it an old song of hope. And I, I think it was Amazing Grace. And they began to sing together and they began to ju- just sing in the darkness. These, this cold, rugged group of soldiers 
And through that singing, they were able to endure that time. That's something that has often stood out to me is that when we're going through our darkest points, look for ways to sing, look for ways to encourage others, to help others, and that that in turn becomes a source of personal replenishment as well. What a fabulous bit of imagery. Soldiers in dark, in freezing cold water, because that's what depression sometimes feels like, and to sing. If you're listening to this at a later date, we're recording this in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm in Toronto where, you know, stores are closed, restaurants are closed. And what I've witnessed is leaders, people who run companies and organizations who I've always saw as very like stoic people share how they have like shed tears and, and cried when having to make decisions about laying off employees that have been there for 30 years. And there's a real movement afoot where it's actually okay to be vulnerable and to be uh, honest and show some transparency. And um, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, I love data and there's lots of great data that shows how being vulnerable and honest actually leads to a more productive workforce and will increase your bottom line. There's a lot of great business reasons to do it, but there's uh, also a lot of great human reasons, which is what, what makes business run, which is why it works. And one of the themes to this book is that you have really encouraged like honesty with yourself. And so as somebody who's gone through this, what are some telltale signs that, you know, I don't want to go all Jeff Foxworthy, like you might be depressed if, but like, what are some (laughs) telltale signs? Like if you're feeling this, or this is what you're experiencing, that maybe you should go speak to your doctor or professional. You know, I just saw a post in the Toronto Star, I think it was, one in 10 Canadians have considered committing suicide in the last year. That's, that's a powerful statistic, right? Mm. I would say some of the signs are, do you feel like you're at a place where you just, you can't do what you used to be able to do? You try to get things done, and then all of a sudden, it's like you hit this mental wall and you just can't move any any farther. Do you find yourself getting really angry at different things? That things that used to not make you angry, um, do you become emotional at different times. Maybe it's tears. Maybe it's different things. Um, For me, a simple thing was the ringing of a phone. It got to that place where if the phone was ringing or something was distracting or my kids, if they started screaming, man, all of a sudden that just set me off. And I was like, wait, that's not normal. That I I shouldn't have that level of reaction. And I, I would say if you're married, listen to your spouse they know you well and get some feedback from them and, and be honest with them. But then even like coworkers, listen to the the signs that coworkers make, the jokes that they make. Are they constantly making jokes? Well, you know, Jeff, he's pretty stressed again and he's, you know, he's been this way for that's that might be some indicators that, hey, um, yeah, I'm going down this journey and I need to get some help. For me, I'm not sure if I shared it on this podcast, but I went through a few times actually in my life. It's been I've had to live with depression and work on coming out of it. And for me, it was um, the telltale sign is I would not want to get out of bed in the morning. Then I'd eventually go to bed and get to work. And then I wouldn't want to leave work. And then I'd come home and I wouldn't want to go to bed. Then I'd eventually go to bed. Then I wouldn't want to get up. And it was just this like continual delaying of like the next thing. Um, That's a great way to describe it. Yeah. yeah, The um, uh, I remember at one point, when I thought it, if I just didn't have all this responsibility, I'd be okay. And I was applying to this. This is when I was in a director role. 
I was applying for a 15 hour a week minimum wage nonprofit uh, communications like coordinator job. And my wife like physically grabbed me. She's like, what are you doing? Like, what, it, what do we need to, we need to, you need to address this right now. Um, and it was, it was, I'm so thankful for her in that moment because I probably would have gotten that job, right? I probably would have gotten that job and I would have taken yeah, it. Right. And, uh, so yeah, thank God for, uh, for her that day and for every other day, of course, I want to, um, just give you a few phone numbers. The Canada crisis prevention service is one 456 Four five six six. That's actually the Suicide Prevention Service, or you can text Start, which is seven four one seven four one, and they'll get back to you. The crisis line in Canada is one eight 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 three five three CARE two two seven three. That's twenty four seven. There are trained workers that can guide you through a lot of problems such as uh, depression, uh, poverty, uh, abuse, etc. In the states, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is one eight hundred. Two seven three eight two five five, and um, it's available in English and Spanish. And in Canada, uh, the U.S., the U.K., and Ireland, there is a crisis text line, and you just text home to seven four one seven four one, and that's in the states. And in Canada, uh, same number in the U.K. and Ireland, it's different, but just uh, Google crisistextline.org, and you'll come up with it. Ezra, man, thank you so much for coming on and sharing both personally and also what you've seen through the eyes of leadership. And for people, uh, for leaders today that are listening that are, you know, they maybe don't know if they're suffering from this or they might know somebody who is, please share with them. Uh, where can, you talked a lot about writing. You are a writing machine. You have a lot of content. Where can people find it? Easiest one, I run a podcast called themondaychristian.com. That's where it is. Uh, that's where all the resources can be found. That's an easiest one if you want to do you know, a couple. But I know a lot of people, they just like the Amazon route. So it's on Amazon as well. Perfect. And this book, when does it come out? When can people get their hands on it? Mid-February. So that's that will be the launch date. Okay, we're going to put a link in the uh, show notes. It'll be on the Leading With Nice website, leadingwithnice.com. Ezra, again, thank you so much. I also got to thank, there's like, yeah, I do the easy part. I just ask people I find really cool questions so I can learn more. But behind me, there is a guy named Austin Pomeroy. He takes care of all the audio. He's going to make a sound. Our voices are actually two octaves higher than what you're listening to right now. You would never know. Oh, great. I like uh, and he's going to make a sound. <laughs> awesome, uh, booming, like golden voice people. So thank you, Austin. Jamie Hunter, he's a guy who takes all this content makes it a great blog post gets all the promotion out there so everybody knows about it and cindy crake she helped book you i tell her i'm like oh, i'd really like to speak to like barack obama the next thing i know cindy's got barack obama booked for well not really booked for the podcast but <laughs> she's amazing i so appreciate her all three of them thank you for listening again if you want to hear more leadingwithnice.com ezra we will talk to you again soon thank you thank you